to another episode of Lend Me Your Ears. My name is John Caesar, and if you're back for episode two, I'm hoping that means I said something right in the first episode. <laughs> uh, I apologize for the, uh, the editing snafu at the end of the first episode. I'm still trying to get my feet wet and figure out exactly how to edit and how to do all this. So thanks for coming back, and hopefully that won't happen again. <laughs> but last week we talked about how I got started in the chimney industry. And we're going to continue on my journey this week, talking about some of the growing pains that I had to go through getting to the point that I'm at now. Now, I know when some people see a successful business or a business owner, uh, their first thought is, oh, must be nice, or wow, he's so lucky. And I know that others see the, the struggles, and then they want to know how I did it. And I get a lot of questions like, you know, how do you hire? How did you grow? How did you, how did you get here? And really, the answer to that is, uh, hopefully I can cover in this uh, episode, but it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot more than most people realize. Um, and even though my company is only six years old, I have so much crap that I've gone through, what I'm going to try to condense here into just some growing pains. But it's a lot harder than most people realize to grow a company, to start a company. Uh, and hopefully, by sharing some of these stories with you, I can help you not have to go through some of the growing pains that I went through. So let's get into it. Uh, before I can get into so-called growing pains, we have to go back to the birth pains, right? The company had to start and that wasn't easy in and of itself. Uh, as I mentioned before, my company started in January of 2015 and I had no prior customer base. I had no uh, invoices to uh, to call back or estimates that were still open, nothing to fall back on. So I had to start from square one in a time where in New Hampshire, most of the people that use their chimneys have already had somebody come out and sweep them and inspect them and they're already burning. They're already using them. Um, so I have to start when uh, really my busiest time is over, right? Nobody's really thinking about chimneys unless something goes wrong. So January, I start the company. I, I get the van. It's all wrapped. Everything's ready to go. I get the phone set up. I got some you know minimal advertising and the phone's not ringing. Uh, just so happens that that January, New Hampshire saw not really a record snowfall, but quite a bit. I think we had two or three feet fall in just a matter of weeks. Uh, and I had, of course, ladders and all the uh, equipment to get onto roofs. So I said, why not go into roof snow removal for this winter and try to, you know, just make some money? Uh, so I started advertising that pretty heavily and it worked. Um, well, when I say it worked, my first month uh, as Caesar Chimney Service, I made a total of whopping $395. <laughs> and that wasn't even made in chimneys. That was made raking snow off of people's roofs, uh, which is tricky by itself because the snow eventually is going to melt and that's what we're trying to do is get the snow off the roof before it melts and starts to seep back into the house causing even more issues so it's a, a very uh, time constricted job to do people call they want it done tomorrow thankfully I didn't have anything on my schedule so when people called for it I could usually get to it in a day or two but that's how Caesar Chimney started was uh, clearing snow off of people's roofs and then eventually the phone started ringing with people having chimney issues and wanting sweepings, and the company slowly started. So the next task became how to get my name out, how to get customers to start calling. Um, at my previous company, I had sat through a couple different meetings where he had the yellow pages come in, you know, the phone book people. And they came in and we'd sat there, sit through presentations about, you know, quarter page ads, full page ads, and here's how to, you know, color and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, 
why? Why are we doing that? I haven't seen a phone book. And if I have, it's been next to somebody's fireplace ready to be used as kindling. You know, I don't even, I don't know anybody that uses a phone book anymore. And they were expensive. I think we were looking at six, $700 for a quarter page ad at that time. And I'm going, this is nuts. We got to find a different way to market. Unfortunately, the guy I worked for before didn't see the, uh, the promise in online marketing or advertising. So when I started my company, I laid heavily into Facebook. That was where I put the majority of my time and energy was my Facebook page, sharing it and boosting it and getting my friends to share it and like posts, just getting it out there as much as I could. Uh, And it worked. That was really my only marketing uh, when I started. I was in the phone book. I did. I got my number through the yellow pages, I believe. Um, And when they gave me my first number, I wasn't really happy with it. So I called them up and I said, hey, can I get a different number? They said, yeah, sure. Here's a list of some other ones. And I looked through it and I found a number that I did like. So I switched my number. Later, when the phone book came out, the original number they had given me was the one they printed. And I called them and I was furious. I'm like, I need my number right. This is, you know, I have to go a whole year now of people calling the wrong number to get a hold of me. And they apologize and we'll fix it next year and all this stuff. But they never did. I don't know why I called two, three years in a row to have them fix it. They haven't fixed it to this day. The number that's listed in the phone book is still the old number and hasn't bothered me in the least. But back to 2015, I started with Facebook and online and Google, um, and it worked. It was amazing that just by having friends and family like and share posts, I was getting customers from it uh, to the point that I think it was maybe May or June of that year. I'd only been in business a short time. We got a phone call. And this guy was irate. Uh, I took the whole day off from work and you were supposed to come out and sweep my chimney. And I, you know, you never showed up and I didn't get a call. And this is outrageous. I'm going to leave all these bad reviews. And I'm going, oh my God, I think I have like 10 customers total. How did we miss this guy? So I called my office manager and she's looking through her notes and I'm looking through mine. We're going through emails. We can't find any record of this guy anywhere. I'm like, wow, talk about a, a, a big mistake. So finally, I call the guy back and I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry. I don't know how we screwed this up so bad. And I'm I'm getting ready to apologize to him. And he cuts me off and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, I need to apologize to you. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I set this appointment like a month ago. Uh, I forget who I set it with. I didn't have any notes taken. Uh, The day came and when nobody showed up, I just Googled chimney sweep. And your name was the first one that I recognized. So I just assumed it was you. Turns out it wasn't. (laughs) I was like, Oh, okay. I took that as a win, right? I had done such a good job of what I call guerrilla marketing, guerrilla social media marketing, that my name had become that familiar after such a short time. I actually got that guy's business. I got to go out and work for him. But I never forgot that, that just by having my name and my logo just in your face all that time, it sticks. So I used that and I ran with it. Um, Facebook became my biggest driving force in the very beginning. Still is, really. Uh, A lot of people mention my social media presence and my Facebook marketing, but uh, that's where I got my start, and it worked. I just happened to start at the right time, or that was really untapped, and uh, we ran with it. It does fascinate me how that works so well. I had a customer call me up, and he said, I called you because Bill, uh, I saw you did some work for Bill. I'm like, oh, great. You know, how is Bill? How did he like his cap we put on and all this? And he goes, oh, I have no idea. I just saw that he liked your Facebook page. So I called because of that. I didn't actually talk to Bill. I was like, okay. I mean, that's that's the word of mouth advertising we have now. So fine. So the phone starts ringing. Uh, We're actually getting customers now. We have a 
a name out there. I'm trying to brand. And that worked for, for a couple of years. Um, like I said, uh, last episode, we started running into issues where I almost burned somebody's house down. Didn't realize that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew uh, that just going and taking a test and getting a badge didn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. So we started over, uh, went to classes, got educated, started from square one, rebuilt. So fast forward to January, I believe it was 17, maybe a couple of years in at this point, And Mark Stoner from Tennessee ends up going on TV on this TV show, Blue Collar Millionaires. And I'm like, I've seen this guy. You know, I saw him back when I worked for this other company, he had this uh, cover page on Sweeping Magazine. He's got all these trucks and employees. And I'm going, I thought this was like a garage business, you know, some people running it out of their basement, guy with a truck, you know, and a ladder. Anybody can do this. And here he is massive. He's got this huge company. I didn't know that was a thing. Now I see him on TV and now he's getting interviewed. Now I get to hear him talk and get to to see what he's like, which was amazing to see that once again. But then he said something in that in that episode that really hit me. I remember sitting there just blown away. And then he was talking about uh, that he got hurt. He fell off a roof and uh, he got seriously injured, couldn't go to work. And he's talking about the fact that work stopped, right? If you're a one or two man operation and you don't show up to work, you own the company, right? You have a business, but if you don't go to work, no more money comes in. You don't really think about that when you're in it. And here I am with this, what I thought was a successful business. But if I took a day off or if I got sick or if I went on vacation or God forbid I got hurt, everything stops. And the way he said it was, you don't have a business, you have a job. If you don't go to work, you don't get any money. He said, that's a big difference. And I'm like, oh my God, he's right. So I remember talking to my wife and I'm like, we need to grow the company. She goes, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. We just need more people. We got to grow. Had no idea what would go into that. So at the time I had, uh, I think two employees then. And I was like, I went to them like, hey, we got to grow. They're like, okay, what does that mean? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> but that was the the catalyst for me. I was like, I have to find a way to make this company make money, even if I'm not out there actually doing the work. So we got started. The number one issue that I've seen in myself mainly, and I've seen it in other companies as well as I've talked and consulted, is that problem of letting go, right? Because we think growth equals profit. Everybody knows that. Then we think, okay, we're going to grow. Fine. We'll figure out a plan for it. The number one thing you have to do when you're growing is you have to learn to let go. Uh, I always thought that I would be different than other people. I was very wrong in that. <laughs> when I went to, or when I worked for my previous company, I remember that he he had a problem letting go. He couldn't let me or anybody else take charge or take ownership or get credit. It was just a very this is, you know, I have to be there or else kind of mentality. And I'm like, boy, that's really stupid. Here I am, two years into running my company, trying to grow it. I went into the same exact mindset. It's very very hard to let go especially when you're the one that's done everything. You know, as a small business owner or a single truck operator, you you do everything. Answer the phones and check the emails and the payroll and the booking and the marketing and the troubleshooting and follow. Like, you have to be in everything. Thankfully, my first hire was my office manager, so I didn't have to do a lot of the, the front-end stuff. But, you know, everything else, I was just in it. I never had any work done under Caesar Chimney's name that I wasn't personally involved in from the the initial appointment to the work being done to the follow-up everything so in order to grow i had to turn people into me which was really really hard 
there's actually a book out there called Clone Yourself. Um, I forget who wrote it. I probably should have had that handy. But there's a book called Clone Yourself where he talks about exactly that, turning everybody that you're working with into you. That's where the letting go is so hard because it becomes a pride issue at that point. In order to turn people into me, I have to teach them everything I know and and make them as good as me. That's hard. That's pride, right? Because my name's on the trucks and my face is everywhere and I'm the guy. But now I have to make them the guy too. And they have to reel that pride in a little bit. So I started doing that. I started pouring everything I had into the technicians that were working with me. Um, and for those that don't know this trade, the people that work with the chimney sweeps or the, the lead technicians or whatever are usually called something like helper or assistant. Um, and when I worked for other people and I've seen it done in other companies, that's kind of how they're treated. You're there to help me do the job here. Hold my ladder, uh, foot the ladder, hold the flashlight, clean this up, go tidy. You know, that's your job is just to help me do the job. I had to switch my mindset with my employees into you're not just helping me, you're becoming me, right? I had to start explaining everything I did and why, you know, I would just do it and expect them to pick it up by osmosis and then come to find out they couldn't do it. I'm like, why? You just watch me do it. Stopping and talking and working through, and this is why I did that, this is how you do that. That takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of energy that I wasn't ready for. And then I do the constant questions and can you do that again? Can you explain it? Just And that was just turning one or two people into me. And I still wasn't very good at it. But that was the beginning process, was not just hiring a helper or somebody just to stand there while I did the work, but now allowing them to do the work and allowing them to take part in it, having ownership in it. And then they do it wrong, right? Because they're not me and they have no idea what they're doing at you know the level that I'm doing it. And I'm standing here watching them and they'd screw it up. So I became that micromanager. I became that, no, 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 try this, hold this, move here, do this. And then they couldn't do it or couldn't do it fast enough. So I became <laughs> the guy that would take the tool out of your hand. Here, let me do it. Let me take over, which wasn't good either. I went through a two or three year period where I was just that micromanaging, overbearing, you're not doing it right. Here's how to do it. Do it my way or else. And I just kept repeating all of these problems that I had seen working for other people. And I'm like, this is this is hard. You know, I thought it was a person, a, a personal problem with these people. And I realized that it's just how it is when you're running something, turning somebody else into you, you have to let go. You have to let them make the mistakes. You have to let them learn on their own or do it their own way. That was a really hard thing for me to wrap my head around is I've always done it this way. I've always put the ladder here. I've always held this tool that way or I, letting somebody else do it. I realized that the the end result is what matters get on the roof safely, you put the ladder where you want. Uh, I went through periods where technicians were scared. I, I would hear back, they're like, he won't do anything because he's like, well, this is the way John wants it done. I have to do it this way. Or he said it has to go here. And they're like, but John's not here. And it'd be just as easy to go here and there. And so I created this company that was run out of fear and run out of micromanaging. And I was just, it was terrible. So it's a big, long ramble to say, just let go. Let your people make mistakes. Let them have ownership. Let them try, screw up, try again. You have to be ready for that. You cannot have growth without that. You cannot turn people into you without that. So I started doing that. 
had a, a moderate sized company. Now I have maybe two, three vans at this point where I'm starting to get some growth. I have guys that are working for me that have worked with me long, with me long enough <laughs> that they now can do it without me being there with them. And then the calls keep coming in. What I didn't see was when you grow your size of the company, you can now take on more work. Great profit. That's what I'm looking for. But those new jobs now equal more work because now those people are telling friends and people are seeing you as you drive around neighborhoods. And now the calls start coming in more and more as we grow. And I didn't know how to handle it. I wasn't ready for an influx of that many calls uh, to go out and work for. Now the schedule's booked out. So now I'm like, okay, what is the quickest way that I can grow this company and handle all of this work? I have to hire people that know what they're doing. I cannot train these people fast enough to keep up with the work. So what if I shortcut and I start hiring people that know what they're doing, put them into a van, they can now run it overnight without me having to train them. Boom, profit. That was the idea. Boy, was I wrong. So we hired a technician that worked for somebody else. He comes in. We thought he was a rock star overnight. We're like, okay, this guy's going to be amazing. He can do everything we do. We don't have to train him. Bismal failure. I mean, just having to retrain somebody is harder than training them. You know, bad habits, old ways. This is how I do it. This is the way I've always done it. We didn't do it this way at my old company or all of those type of attitudes start coming up. Now you have different problems. It's not just training, but retraining. We went through three different experience leads all at three different times. None of them worked for all of those reasons. Just the the attitudes, the egos, taking somebody on and then instantly putting them into a position of power. Now you've got bad attitudes, bad habits, whatever else you're dealing with. And now you've put them in a position of power and then you get the ego problem. Then you get, well, this is how I do it. Or I know John says he wants it done this way, but this is how I want it done. The cancer culture that create that I was dealing with in my company was insane. There was about a, I would say a two year period that I'm talking about here, maybe 2018, 19, where just this terrible attitude, culture, quality issue I was dealing with. I had all the people, but it wasn't getting done right. It wasn't getting done the way that I wanted to put my name on. Then I started hearing stories from technicians of this is what happened. And he cut this corner and he did this. Then I would go out and work with a technician that had worked with these so-called experienced technicians. I'd go out and work with them and they would start doing terrible things at the job, breaking holes and bending things that weren't. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, that's how he showed me to do it. I'm like, oh, oh, that's great. Here, let me read. Now I'm having to retrain the people that I'm training and the cancer grew. Now I had a ton of different problems all happening at the same time. I've got a cancerous culture in the company. I have too much work coming in where now I need them to stay in the positions that they're in. And I've got technicians working for them that are now getting trained the wrong way and dealing with these bad attitudes. I had no idea what I was going to do at this point. All three of those experienced leads that we hired all didn't work out for various reasons. I think two were fired and one quit finally because he just got sick of not getting his own way. And every time they would leave, I would have this feeling of, oh, God, we're going down. Like, we're losing people. We're not going to be able to keep up with the work. This company's going to fall apart. But every time we would go through what my friend Tommy Nelms likes to call addition through subtraction. Every time I lose somebody, I have this feeling that it's over. Like, we, we can't recover from it. Every time you lose a cancerous employee, you gain from it. 
And to this day, I still can't wrap my head around it because that feeling of loss is so overwhelming. Every time we've lost an employee that was doing bad work, had a bad attitude, was just feeding into that negative culture, the company has grown. Morale goes through the roof. Profit goes through the roof. Work efficiency goes through the roof every single time. But I didn't know that back in 2018-19. So here I am just hiring these people, putting them in positions of power, having to fire them, starting over again. This vicious cycle. Finally, we had enough of it. I talked to my core group of guys and they're like, can we please stop hiring people from other companies? I'm like, you got it. We're done. We're not doing it anymore. We're going to focus on us. Thankfully, I had myself and I had two other technicians that knew what they were doing and were trained by me and did it the right way, didn't feed into that negative culture. So we started over again, just the three of us. We had to go out now. We had to find technicians that could fill those seats. You know, we needed warm bodies, just somebody that we can groom, somebody we can bring in, we can throw in a van. We're not going to put them in power. We're just going to train them from the ground up. Which brings me to the next growing pain was my hiring practices. I had none. <laughs> that was my, my hiring practice was, oh, you want a job? Get in a van. Let's go. Uh, I had one hiring group. I hired three people uh, at once. Didn't do any background checks didn't do any drug testing, did nothing. It was just, oh, you you, you want to work? Come on in. Uh, one of them, I don't think had a, uh, two of them didn't have a car. One couldn't read. Like it was literally just, if they would if they would apply, they were hired. So here we go. I got three guys, one without a car, one that can't read. I didn't find out until later. Two of them had records, uh, pretty serious records too, but I didn't do any background checks. So I didn't know. Put them in vans, and we're off again. We've got three guys that know what they're doing. We've got three warm bodies in the van. Let's hit it. <sighs> Over the course of the next year, one of the uh, technicians ended up stealing from, I think, everybody in the company right out of wallets. Like, we'd leave our wallet laying around, come back, and there's $20 missing. This guy's missing 40 This guy's missing just everywhere. From me, mostly, they would find my wallet where it was laying around, and this technician would just take money. We never could pin it on him. He was that good. We knew that it was him, but we couldn't prove that it was him until one day I get a call from a customer and he says, your guys did a great job on my chimney. Everything was great, but my wife's $3,000 watch is missing. And I'm like, excuse me? He says, yeah, it was laying on her dresser in the bedroom and uh, only one of your guys went in there and now we can't find her watch anywhere. And I'm like, what was the name of the technician? I called the leads. Who was the technician that went in there? Sure enough, it's this guy. I mean, what do you do at that point, right? I had to handle it outside of uh, going to court and getting my name and, and uh, all over, just uh, the, the panic that set in from my name getting attached to something like that. I'm like, what can I do? I ended up writing a check to the homeowner. I said, here, I'll pay for the watch. I'm really sorry. And I did, and it went away. But I did that job for negative. I ended up having to write a check bigger than I made at the job. And that was the end for that employee. Same thing. We couldn't prove it because we couldn't find it. Didn't know. Of course, I questioned him. We ended up firing him. Maybe a month later, I get another call from a customer. And he says, yeah, well, you guys are doing a, a liner job for me. And one of your technicians is in the basement cleaning up. And I can't find a ton of my tools. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, my drill and... And he starts naming off like 10, 11 tools. I'm going, ah, yeah, we don't use those tools. That's not something we would just, you could bring back into a van and we wouldn't notice. So I go back. It was the same technician. 
I go back to the cameras and I look up the cameras that were at my house at the time. And I used, I give uh, my employees these PPE bags. It's a backpack that there's, they have uh, respirators and gloves and, and uh, harnesses and hearing protection. All their personal protective equipment is in these bags. At the time, we didn't have a lot of it. So it was really just maybe a respirator and some gloves in these backpacks. I go back to the day of this guy's job. I pull up the cameras and I watch him get out of the van and he's dragging his PPE bag. Nobody noticed because we were inside doing paperwork or, or whatever we were doing. So he's out by himself, supposedly cleaning out the van. And he's got a PPE bag that is busting at the seams. He's literally having to like lug it with his body. It's so heavy. And I'm going, that's not a respirator. Sure enough, he came back that day with a PPE bag full of this customer's tools. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So there was one of my warm bodies. He was fired. I lost, you know, $3,000 worth of a watch. This guy lost tools. We all lost 20s left and right. Fine. The employee that I hired that couldn't read, great guy, loved him, hired him, had a great attitude, just loved working with him. But he had a a ceiling, right? He had a, a lid. We couldn't get him past a certain point. And eventually we had to mutually part ways. Uh, one of the other technicians or the third technician from that hiring crop, rock star. I mean, the guy just got it instantly. I was like, he's trying to prove himself. You know, yeah, he's got a record. He's got stuff, whatever. I'm going to look past that. Not a big deal. Get certified within, I think, four or five months, something like that. I mean, this kid's just going places. I'm like, here we go. I've found the next golden egg. I found the next employee I can pour into. I found out down the road that as soon as he got certified, same thing, you know, he had the same mindset I did. I took a test. I passed this test. I can now run a company. (laughs) So while working for me, I found out later, this employee would give an estimate to a customer and then say, yeah, but I can do it this weekend for half. And we had no idea. He kept saying, I can't work on Saturdays. I can't come in. I can't work late. He was leaving early. We're like, whatever. He was a good employee. So we didn't really look too hard into it. Come to find out down the road, this guy's been pilfering my customers and then working on the weekend for them on the side. So then he got let go. Now he runs another company down the road. Fine, whatever. Oh, for three with that hiring crop. So now I've gone through three experienced leads that didn't work. Now I've gone through three warm bodies that just decimated our company from the inside out. I can't figure out what the heck to do at this point. But of course, I just kept blaming all the technicians. It was, you know, their fault. These people I keep hiring, it was all their fault. When I finally stopped and took a look at it, it was me. I was the problem. I was so busy reacting to all of my employees' culture instead of enacting my own. The second I realized that, the whole game changed. I mean, think about what kind of company I had. Warm bodies. If you want a job, you're in. If you work for somebody else, that's fine. Just go do your thing. Just make money. Just get the work done no matter what. All in the name of growth, right? That's the end game here. That's I need to grow. That's how you grow. Just make it bigger. What I realized was I wasn't growing a company. If you go into it trying to grow your bottom line or you go into it trying to grow your employee size or any of that, that's exactly what you're going to do. You're just going to keep making your problems bigger. What I needed to grow was my culture. I needed to have a culture. First of all, we had none. It was just, it was chaos. I had to create the culture that I wanted. What I realized then is growth 
is slow. It is painfully slow. There is no shortcut to getting big fast. Just like working out, just like losing weight, just like anything else, if you want to make any kind of progress, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes patience. I didn't have that. I'm not a very patient person for those of you that know me. I want it now and I'm going to make it happen. So what we realized was we needed to grow from within. We had to enact a company culture. We had to have a framework, a foundation. We had to build it the way that we wanted it slowly. That meant, honestly, raising prices. We had to stop the workflow from coming in. At that point, not only was I reacting to how the technicians were acting, but I was reacting to the phone calls. We have to keep up. We have to keep up. Raise the prices and you'll kind of cull the herd a little bit. We did. We raised the prices. We dealt with less customers. We started taking our time. We started training more. We started hiring better. I am a terrible hirer. I remember when I first sat down to interview uh, an employee, we just had a conversation. I think we ended up talking about the Red Sox and the weather, right? I didn't know what this, I didn't have any criteria. It was, oh, you're here in front of me. You want a job. In the back of my mind, I'm already thinking, I'm going to hire you because you're here. You're the only person that applied, so I have to hire you. So there's really nothing else to say other than idle chatter. That was my interview process, was just talking to them, kind of getting a feel for them. After each interview, I talked to uh, my employees and my wife, and, and they'd be like, how was he? Oh, he's great. He was good. Great guy. Great guy. I didn't realize that the person sitting in front of you in an interview is usually not the person you're going to get when they start day one. That's a, a mask. It's them just pretending to get the job. But it was fine because I was already going to hire them as soon as they walked in the door. So it didn't really matter. Once I started getting interview questions, I started understanding what I was hiring for. I started actually diving into, are you a good fit here? I didn't like it. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm not a good hirer. I don't like picking people apart like that. And the business owner mindset comes into play. And I start thinking, well, I, you know, nobody else applied. So what am I going to do? So I put somebody else in charge of it. Delegation was the key to my growth. We can go into this more in a, a later podcast, but me being the only one in charge of the hiring and the firing and the training and the, the work itself and the back end and the bookkeeping, when I was in everything and doing everything, my company was a shit show. It was, it was, it's all it could be, right? I'm split 20 different ways. I can't focus on any one thing, let alone hiring. That's the last thing on my mind. I had to focus on, you know, the jobs and the parts and materials and costs. When I put somebody else in charge of hiring, that's when the company started to grow because they have no skin in the game. Actually, take that. They probably have more skin in the game than I did. All I saw was a warm body. I saw somebody that could fill a need. When you put somebody that has to sit in a van with this person all day and not see the bottom line, they just see, do I want to be in the van with this person all the time? You get a much different hiring practice. Yes, I had to be in the van with them, but they're going to listen to me. They're going to do what I say because I'm the boss. You put their peer in charge of hiring and in charge of, do you want this person with you working all day? You get that foxhole mentality, right? The military gets such a strong brotherhood because you have to put your life on the line for the person next to you and they do the same for you and you get a brotherhood out of it. But I didn't have that. I just made it up as I went along. The second I put Max in charge of hiring, we started getting a better crop of hiring. 
We also did background checks and drug tests. That was major. That weeds out a lot of the riffraff if you straight out say you're not going to get a job here if you don't have a driver's license, a clean drug test, a clean record. You know, you have criteria for who you're hiring. Now you're going to get a better crop of hiring. Then when you sit down and you actually think about them as a person and not them as a seat filler, you get a much, much different crop of people coming to work for you. But I didn't figure that out until late 2019. My company at this point is four years old. I've got returning customers. I've got my name out there. My guerrilla marketing is working. I have brand recognition. People are calling just because it's me. They had no idea that when they'd call, I didn't know if I was going to have an employee the next day or a company the next day, that the chaos, the disruption, the infighting, the cancer mentality, all of that happening at once, every day was a fight. 2019, everything changed. Our hiring got better. Our training got better. I learned how to delegate, and we're going to go over all of that next week. So thank you for listening, and thank you for lending me your ears. I'll see you next week.